This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening at this time every week to Bible Crossfire. Of course, this is a takeoff of the the idea that we're going to allow you to discuss the scriptures. It's going to be like a crossfire. We're going to hear both sides of any religious question and let the Bible decide what is correct on that. Now, God, we all agree, is the ultimate authority. Therefore, by extension, His Word, the Word of God, the Bible, is the authority. So if we have any Bible issue or question, we turn to the Bible and let it decide the answer to that question. Again, we appreciate you listening. While we're waiting on our first call, I thought we'd talk about the Old Testament change to the New Testament. This is very important. Uh, I'm going to give you a silly illustration. Suppose uh, you're brand new to the Bible and you, you don't know much about it, but you know you need to obey it. So you turn to the Bible. The first thing you turn to is Genesis 6, where it says, Build thee an ark out of gopher wood. Well, you might start building a big old boat in your backyard. So we, we all realize from that illustration that it's important to understand what applies to us and what doesn't apply to us. And the most basic distinction in the Bible is that the Old Testament law does not apply to us today. The New Testament law does. The Old Testament was never for the Gentiles. It was only for the Jews. Now we're not under the Old Testament law. We're under the New Testament law exclusively. We'll turn and look at some passages along those lines in just a minute, but let's go ahead and take this call from William from Colorado. Go ahead go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. How you doing, Patrick? I hope you're doing well today. Doing real good, William. Good, good. We, we, we had a caller last week. His name was Sam, and he told my story. What happened with me was the enemy got a hold of me, and I committed adultery on my wife so that she could biblically marry after our marriage was dissolved. And then I basically became a man whore for the next 12, 15 years. Okay. And I, I certainly hope that Sam is listening today because I'd like for him to know that he is not alone, and there is forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And that's pretty much all I have to say. <laughs> well, William, you, how do you get forgiven for your sins? That's the question. How do you get forgiven? Let, well, tell us. What, what well, you, I've got you, to you, repent. Exactly. That's that's a good I've point, got to William. Repent of those sins. Everybody's you know, got to re, repent. Re, yeah, repent means turn away. Right, and so you quit doing, you changed your lifestyle and started living more like the Bible says. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. That's exactly right, William. William, I've written Yo. your number down. I'm, I may call you later some other time after the program's over and we can talk further, okay? Okay, I am a trucker, so I might be in, I might have coverage, I might not. I don't know. Yep. I just I appreciate you calling, pointing that out, and and you know Jesus said, "Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish." So you got that right. You know any exactly. sin, and any we sin, cannot do it on our own. It, what we I was going to say, William, on our own. is that any sin yeah. except except for the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, Matthew twelve thirty one and thirty two, 
can be forgiven if one is willing to repent. But what people don't realize is, is that they have to repent. They think, okay, we're saved by grace, therefore God's just going to forgive me, even though I'm living in the sin and I don't plan to quit. No, no, you got to repent. In Acts 2, verse 38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So when a person becomes a Christian, the way he does that, a believer, is he repents and he's baptized for the remission of sins. And that repentance is key. He can't be forgiven if he's continuing in the sin. Repentance means you make up your mind to stop the sin. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. So in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Christ came, in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 32, we read, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. So this passage is basically saying, hey, we're under one covenant now, but there's going to be a new covenant, not according to the covenant that we're in now, the one that we got when we came out of Egypt. There's going to be a new covenant. Now, Hebrews 8, verses 8 and 9, quotes that passage to say that we're in that new covenant today. So Jeremiah says, hundreds of years before Christ came, one day there's going to be a new covenant, a new agreement, or a synonym would be a New Testament. And the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, quotes Jeremiah to say, you guys remember what Jeremiah said back there? We're in that New Covenant now. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. Next, I'm turning to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12 says, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. The context here, we don't have time to read all the context, but the context here is saying that Jesus is our high priest, but he could not be a priest according to the Old Testament law. You had to be of the tribe of Levi, a descendant of Jacob's son Levi to be a priest, but Jesus wasn't. He is of the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant of Jacob's son Judah. So according to the Old Testament law, Jesus couldn't be a priest, but he is a priest. Matter of fact, he's our high priest. That means the priesthood must have changed. And then he says, if the priesthood changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. What's going on there is, is that the the writer is making the argument that you can't just change part of the law. If one part of the law, the Old Testament law, changed, and in this case, the priesthood changed, that means all of the law has changed. It's either all or nothing. And that's why I say that we're not under any of the Old Testament law. We're under the New Testament law exclusively because this passage shows that if one part of that law changed, the whole thing changed. It's either all or nothing. We have a lot of people. Let me mention the number again. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Many churches, even some Christians, many Christians recognize that the old law is no longer binding, but everybody wants to go back and pick out five or six or eight of their of their favorite laws, the ones that they think are important or from the Old Testament, and bring them forward. And we can't do that. 
We're under the New Testament law exclusively. Next, I'd like to turn to Colossians chapter 2. And what we're doing in this lesson today while we're waiting on calls is, is showing that the Old Testament changed to the New Testament. In other words, I may have said that in a funny way, but what I'm saying is the Old Testament is no longer binding. binding. It served its useful purpose. Now we've had a change, and we've changed to New Testament law today. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. In Colossians 2, let me start by reading verse 14. Talking about Jesus, it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So, so far we see that some ordinances were blotted out by Jesus, taken out of the way, nailed to the cross. Ordinance comes from the word ordain. If you have a city ordinance, that would be a law ordained by the city. This is talking about ordinances, laws ordained by God. And Jesus took them out of the way, nailed them to the cross. They're no longer, they're no longer binding anymore. So in verse 16, we'll continue with the reading. It says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Uh, we'll get back to this, but let's take this call. Jim from Mississippi, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, buddy, I was just listening, and uh, I don't mean to sound uh, critical, but I hope you don't interpret it as such, but I keep hearing uh, you say what we must do to be saved, and I keep hearing uh, must repent, and I and I do believe all of that, by the way. I'm, I'm not arguing that. I, I'm simply saying I don't hear with Acts 2.38, I don't hear verse 39. Okay. And uh, it is so incredibly important that you note that that verse states that this promise is given unto you for you and your children and to all them that are far off and as many as our Lord shall call. Uh, salvation is an act of God, a gift from God that produces repentance. We don't just come up and repent on our own because we're dead in sin. Um, Jim, that's not exactly... Yeah. That's not exactly correct. God does not force us to repent. I believe it's Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Let me turn and read that and make sure I have the right reference for you, Jim. In Romans 2, verse 4, it says, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repent. So he does not force us to repent. He leads us to repent. We have to well, repent on our own. See, That's up to us. Yeah. I don't see any real difference there. I, I just my question is, with respect to uh, what Paul, the same writer, said in Ephesians two and in Romans four. Romans four, within five verses, he says seven times of how God's grace has given us the gift of salvation. And I don't deny repentance. I just believe it's God that produces repentance. Uh, we're dead in sin. And, and you, you know, uh, Jesus didn't go to Lazarus' grave and say, Lazarus, would you like to come out? He commanded him and called him, and then he turned and told the crowd, I'm the resurrection and the life. If any man believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then Paul says, and you have he made alive. 
God has made us alive, and that mm-hmm. produces repentance. I just, as I'm listening to you, I fear you've got the cart before the horse. Thank it you for your God. call, Jim. Thank you for your call, no. Jim. So we're looking at Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse fourteen. It says, "Whereunto he called you by our gospel." Romans ten seventeen says, "Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God." Romans chapter one, verse sixteen says, "The power of God to salvation is the gospel." So Jim is not correct, and I'm going to put it a way that Jim didn't say, but this is in effect what he's saying. Jim is not correct that God forces us to repent. That he gives repentance unto us in the sense that he forces us and that we don't repent ourselves. The way that God gives us repentance is like what I read in in Romans chapter 2 verse 4. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repent. It's not forced. We have to repent. Does God give us repentance? Yeah. Acts 11 verse 18 says, God hath granted unto the Gentiles, Gentiles repentance unto life. God grants repentance. But it's not by force. It's not that he forces us. It's that he leads us to repent. He calls us by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. And so God leads us to repent, and we do the repenting. We're the ones that do the believing. We're the ones that do get baptized. Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So that's the truth of the matter. So now we're looking at Colossians chapter 2, and we see that Jesus blotted out these ordinances. He says, no, let, let no man judge you, verse 16, in meat or in drink, respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Here's a good sampling of those Old Testament laws. He runs the whole gambit, the daily, the yearly, the holy days. The new moon is the monthly, the Sabbath days is the weekly. And he's saying nobody can judge you based upon these ordinances, these laws anymore, because Jesus blotted them out, took them out of the way, and nailed them to the cross. Verse 14. I remember back, and I believe it's in Numbers chapter 15, where a man got caught picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and the people had to judge him harshly, I might say. They had to stone him. Today, we can't criticize or judge somebody for working on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, the seventh day of the week, because that law is no longer binding. Jesus nailed it to the cross, according to Colossians 2, 14 through 17. What we're saying is that the Old Testament law is not our law for today. The New Testament law is. We study the Old Testament law because it will help us learn the New Testament law because the New Testament law refers to the Old Testament law constantly. But when we want to find out what a person has to do to be saved, when we want to find out how God would want us to worship him, when we want to find out how God would want us to live in our everyday life, we turn to the New Testament law. That's our law for today. I'm turning to Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. But before we do that, we'll take a call from William, who called us earlier, but he's calling back. William from Colorado, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hey, Patrick, I got something to say. William, you're... Am I cutting out? Yeah, try it one more time. Okay. Our last caller, the Lord does not force us to repent, but the Lord Lord sends the Holy Spirit to convict us into repentance. Because without that conviction, there would not be any repentance. 
Okay? And now the question is, is how does the Holy Spirit convict us of sin? The Bible says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And so the way the, word of, the, way the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin is through the Word of God. I'm turning to John chapter 6, verse 44 and 45 to show this. It says in John 6, 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I think we all agree that this is talking about the same thing that William was just talking about. The Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. The Father, God, draws us to him. He pulls us toward him. Now, how does he do that? Verse 45 shows us. It says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of me, hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. So the way God draws us to him, the way he convicts us of our sin is by the preaching of the gospel, the learning, the teaching, the hearing, and that is the way that God draws. It's God, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Romans 2 verse 4. It's not any kind of force. It's not that the Holy Spirit operates on us directly and forces us to come to God. It's through the Holy Spirit's inspiration of God's word, the Bible. And the Bible talks about the goodness of God. The Bible talks about the consequences if we don't serve God. The Bible talks about everything that God has done for us and Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And all of these things motivate us as we learn what the Scriptures say. All of these things motivate us to obey what we learn in the Scriptures. That's the way God, that's the way the Holy Spirit draws us, convicts us of our sin, and causes us to repent. John six forty four and 45, it is through the teaching of God's word, the hearing of God's word, the learning of God's word. That's how he does it. He he affects everybody the same way. It's through the word of God, the gospel, and we have the free will choice. He We have the free will choice to either accept it or reject it. We are not forced to do anything. We have, the, we have our free will. God does not give us Faith or repentance in that sense. He does not supply the faith or the repentance. No, we have to do that. We have to believe. We have to repent. What he does supply is the motivation and the instruction and the requirement to have faith and repentance. And in that sense, he draws us. He calls us by the gospel. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 14. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. 877 877- Six five five six seven five five. So we were looking at Romans seven four through seven. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to read the first part of verse four. It says, "Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law." Now, whatever law that's talking about, does it sound like we still have to keep that law? No, not if we're dead to it. Now, skip down to verse six, the beginning of that verse. Romans 7, verse 6 says, But now we are delivered from the law. Newer translations will say, released from the law. Does that sound like we have to keep this law, whatever law he's talking about? Not if we're delivered from it. Not if we're released from it, we don't have to keep it anymore. Not if we're dead to it, according to verse 4, we don't have to keep it anymore. Now, so far we see that we, whatever this law is, we don't have to keep it 
anymore. But what law is it talking about? Look at verse 7. Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So the law said, Thou shalt not covet. The very law that we're dead to and delivered from says, Thou shalt not covet. Well, that's one of the Ten Commandments. So that's talking about the Old Testament law, including the Ten Commandments. You see, some people are surprised by this. They recognize that we're not under the Old Testament law anymore, but they think we're still bound by the Ten Commandments. And this verse specifically mentions one of the Ten Commandments. We already read Colossians 2, verse 14 through 17, which mentioned the Sabbath, which was one of the Ten Commandments. Both of those passages teach these things are no longer binding. Now, the first thing people want to ask me then, or, or bring up to me when I say we're not bound by the Ten Commandments anymore, we don't have to keep them anymore, they say, Pat, if that's true, then that means we could kill, steal, and commit adultery. No, the reason it's wrong today to kill, steal, and commit adultery is not because the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments said it, that law was just for the Jews, never was for the Gentiles, and it's not for anybody today. The reason it's wrong to kill, steal, and commit adultery is because the New Testament law says it's wrong to kill, steal, and commit adultery. And this is why we don't have to keep the Old Testament. This is why we don't have to do the animal sacrifices. We don't have to, for religious reasons, circumcise our little boys at eight days old. Now, we might want to do it for health reasons, but we cannot bind that religiously. We don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. These are all laws that were part of the Old Testament law, not the New. Therefore, they're not still binding. Stephen from Michigan, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. My question is, um, the, the baptisms, the one Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, uh, 19, in the, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, versus the baptism in the book of Acts, baptized in the name of Jesus. What is the difference between those two? Well, Stephen, there is no difference. When you have two verses in the Bible, they're both going to be right. They're both going to be correct because they're both written by God, right? Yep. Okay, so one says to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. You quoted that right, Stephen. Acts two thirty-eight, for example, says to baptize in the name of Jesus. We quoted that one earlier. Both of those verses have to be right. And if we know that, then when we understand and recognize both of them are right, then we're going to find out how they both can be true. And the way they're both true is, is that neither one, Stephen, is telling the baptizer what to say when he baptizes. Instead, they're both telling the baptizer what to do, and that is to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, in the name of Christ, meaning by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, by the authority of Christ, and that's the same thing. It's by their authority. It has nothing to do with what the baptizer is to say. It has everything to do with what he's to do, and that is baptize because Jesus commanded it by his authority. You follow what I'm saying, Stephen? Yes. You got okay. any follow-up? You got any follow-up with that? N nope. That was, I was just curious, just because, I mean, geez, this was a commandment of Christ, and then I know mm -hmm. in Acts 2.38, I just I just wondered what the actual difference was, because there's. Yeah. I know I've heard a lot of people ask that, like, what's the difference between those two baptisms other than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And I know, you know... All three are as one. All three will bear witness as one. And I know God is the Father, God is the Son, etc. But I was just really curious on that. 
Yeah, no difference at all. It's just people get confused because they think they're talking about a formula of words that the baptizer has to say, else the baptism is invalid, and that's not what they're talking about at all. Okay. Stephen, thank you for your call. Thank you for your You're call. You're welcome. Be blessed. Thank you. I've got to go off the air in less than a minute. Let me mention something. Uh, I want to mention that I've talked about having a face-to-face Bible study with someone in your area like me. I thought of another idea, and I started this recently. I would be glad to study with you. It'd be like a face-to-face study, except we would do it by phone. Of course, you li- if you lived in my area, I could come to your house and study. But you might live 500 miles away. How about if we study together for one hour over the phone? If you would like to do that, contact me. And what I would do is I would send you an outline via email ahead of time. We would agree upon a time to have a one-hour Bible study by the phone. And we would do that using the outline I sent to you over email. If you want to do that, send me an email at BibleCrossFire.com or text or call me at 256-682-9753. 